Hey there, Bold Girl. You are about to hear something incredible. Pastor Janelle just kicked off Bold for the year with a message that we hope inspires and encourages you. Now, here's the message. Hello, hello. How are y'all doing? So good to see so many of you. Welcome to our first bold in a really, really long time. So how many of you could not find the forum right now? Raise your hand if you could not find it. Okay. We're new to this. It's all right. We're figuring it out. So apparently, go to groups under Facebook. And then when, once you're in groups, just look for a bold women forum. Does that work? All right. So y'all have all weekend to join. We're going to be doing some fun giveaways and just all sorts of stuff on there. Um, we really are just getting started, but we have a, a big vision for it. And we want um, a place where we can talk in between these gatherings or where we can encourage each other and help each other. We're also going to be doing anonymous questions and some interviews, and it's going to be super fun. So I hope you'll be a part of that. Um, so like I said, this is our first bold in a really long time, 19 months to be exact. <laughs> and I remember our last bold because a week after exactly a week on the next Friday, I went into the hospital and was put on bed rest because I was pregnant, um, with our little daughter, Eden. I don't know. Were y'all able to get my family pick? I threw them a little curveball. All right. I know there's a lot of new people in the room. So this is my family, my husband, Daniel, my beautiful firstborn, Vivian, and that's little Eden Rain right there. And so um, I was pregnant with her. And at 29 weeks, I went in um, the hospital. I was put on bed rest. And we had her, I had her like, I don't know why we say we, because Daniel didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> I, when he tells the story, he's like, we, we, we. And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, so anyway, I had that baby. I had an emergency C-section. And after that, I almost died. So things got really serious. And I almost died. I mean, I was on the brink. And um, my husband rallied our church and friends around the nation and friends around the world. Eventually, it went viral to pray for me. And um, God saved my life. And he saved the life of our little girl, Eden. <laughs> She was born at two pounds, seven ounces. Um, she could, like, fit in your hand. She was tiny, tiny, and she's doing so well now. She's actually terrorizing um, our dogs at home, and uh, she's wild and crazy, and she's awesome. But so um, it took a little while. It took a little while for me to get on my feet, and it took a little while for me to adjust to having a newborn because I, I had forgotten what it was like because Vivian was... Um, 13 when I had her, and I was like, oh, it'll be a breeze, and it's not a breeze, right? If you have little babies at home, I'll pray for you. Um, she rocked our world, and um, then after that, you know, just adjusting, it's taken a while, and um, I feel like we've had a lot of starts and stops with Bold, but it's something that's always been in my heart, always been on my heart. And a few months after I got out of the hospital, and I had leveled out, and things were kind of returning to normal, the new normal, I felt like the Lord kind of asked me, like, well, what do you want to do now? Like, after going to the brink of death and realizing, like, having a near-death experience and, and evaluating everything through that lens, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And 
I love it when he asks us questions like that because he already knows the answer, but he's just trying to get you to like think about it, right? I mean, immediately the two things that came up were I really want to invest everything I have into those two girls, Viv and Eden, and I want to invest everything I have into the women of this church. It's always been my dream. It's always been on my heart to empower um, the girls of our church. I call us girls, and it's not because we are all, you know, 14. It's because I believe that we, we all have that little girl inside still. That little girl, that wild girl, that girl that dreamed before she got hurt, before life threw her curveballs. And that's the girl that I want to empower. And that's the girl that I want to speak to. And, you know, you have a part to play in the story of God. You have a part to play in the story of God. And I want to help you figure out what that is and go for it. That's why it's called bold. Go for it boldly. Do that thing that God has put you on the earth to do. Everyday girls empowered to live on mission. We're everyday girls. That word everyday girl, that word everyday means normal. If you look at the definition of everyday, it means normal. It means routine. It's kind of boring. And the truth is that we're all humans and we do the everyday. We have the poopy diapers and we have the carpools and we have like when you're going through certain seasons, it feels like Groundhog's Day. Every day is the same, right? Like the lunches, the kids, the school, the signing the papers. We are everyday girls, but we are empowered, right? God adds his super to our natural and it changes the game and we become supernaturally empowered to do what he's called us to do. And we're living on mission. And I want that revelation to just sink into our hearts that no matter what we're doing, no matter what season we're in, no matter where God has us right now, we are on mission. If it's at home, homeschooling the littles, if it's being a working mom, we have a lot of working moms and that is a tough juggle. If it's doing that, if it's having your own business, if it's being a stay-at-home mom, if it's being married, if it's single, whatever it is, you're on mission. And when God needs you, he knows where to find you, and he knows he's going to find you ready, ready to go. And so that's what that tagline means, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, talk about it on the forum, and, and um, look at what that really looks like in our lives in the bolds to come. But for today, um, I really felt like the Lord told me to give my testimony, and I realized that I'd never done it, which is kind of weird. Um, and there are certain parts that only like a handful of people know, and I really felt like he was asking me to share that. So that's what I'm going to share today, and I'm really excited about it. Um, so I'm going to start at the very beginning, but don't get nervous because I'm going to run through it because <laughs> I'm starting with my grandparents, right? So that is the very, very beginning, but, um, <laughs> don't get nervous. Okay. So my grandparents were, got married when they were 40 and 60. My grandma was 40. She'd never been married. My grandpa was 60. He had been married and his wife left him and he was a, a minister in the back Baptist denomination. And back then, um, if you're, if you get divorced, you are no longer fit for ministry. So he got kicked out of his denomination. He lost his church. And um, one day he felt the Lord tell him that even though nobody would allow him to be used in the States, in Mexico, they wouldn't care. And they would, there was a lot of work for him to do there. So he met my grandma and they um, packed up and moved to Mexico at 40 and 60. Did not speak a word of Spanish. He was like tall, blonde haired, blue eyed. And they lived in Mexico for 20 years. And they planted dozens of churches there. And my mom was born there. So even though she was American, she was born in Mexico. And um, 
At age 18, she met my father, and they eloped. And the reason that they eloped was because my father wasn't into God. He didn't, he didn't um, want to be a Christian, and she fell in love with him. And so they ran off and got married. A year later, I was born, and that's the kind of home that I was brought into. My mom was raised as a missionary kid. My dad didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And my very first memory was when I was three or four um, I think it was three. And I remember like the first picture I have in my head, I was at a church, one of the churches that my grandfather had actually planted and somebody was preaching and they did the altar call and they invited people to come forward if they wanted to meet Jesus. And I put my hand up and, you know, my grandpa, my mom was there and they asked me if I knew what I was doing. And I said, yes. And so I went forward to the altar call and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And that's my first memory. And so that's kind of, that's how I was introduced to the Lord. But when I was six, we moved to the estates. We moved here to San Antonio. And um, I, I wasn't around my grandparents anymore. We didn't have a church here. My dad was still not very interested. And so um, I grew up kind of with this knowledge of God. And my mom was a Baptist missionary kid. So she had the rules of Christianity, right, that she was teaching us. And um, they put me in a Christian school, and I learned some more rules. I learned some scripture. And I don't really know if that's a way they were teaching it, but that's how I received it, like the rules. Jesus, God, Christianity is about the rules. It's about doing the right thing. You don't dance. You don't watch the Smurfs. You don't trick-or-treat. Like... (laughs) Those are some of the rules I remember. Um, but it wasn't about a relationship. And because my, my parents were not on the same page, I wasn't learning or watching or seeing that relationship lived out. And so I didn't know how to do that. My parents had a rough marriage, and my father wasn't very present. And um, I feel bad for talking about him like this because my dad is now saved and comes to this church. So... Just keep that in your, the back of your head while I'm talking. <laughs> um, but he, he was very strict. And I really think that he, he really believed that he was trying to protect us kids, right? But he would often tell us that he would rather us fear him than love him. And so I did fear him. I was scared of my dad. <laughs> and in, in turn, I was scared of God because... That's how you learn to have a relationship with Father God, by your relationship with the Father. And so I was scared of him, and home was rough. And at about 14, for some reason, I don't remember why, I began to um, just start my own relationship with the Lord. And I remember reading my Bible. I had a Bible, and I I started reading my Bible. And um, I had a lot of anxiety. I struggled with anxiety as a little girl because my home was so unstable and it felt very unpredictable. And um, I was just worried all the time. And back then we didn't have phones and we couldn't look up about mental health. Nobody talked about mental health. Um, you couldn't Google it, you couldn't. So I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I was worried all the time. And maybe that's why I started turning to the Lord. And I remember you know, falling asleep praying and sometimes I would um, fall asleep hugging my Bible just because I felt like it was the only stable thing I had. But of course, right around that time, I started high school. And um, shortly after that, I met a guy, right? All bad stories. <laughs> Maybe not all bad, but this was bad. So he was a junior, and I was a freshman. And he was a very different religion than me, had really opposing views. 
And that mattered to me because I was just beginning my relationship with the Lord. But in my little 14, 15-year-old brain, I was like, I'll be fine. I'll be able to stick with my convictions. He won't change me. And of course, I was terribly, terribly wrong. And that one compromise led to five years of compromise. And most of my regrets come from that season in my life. It was a tough, tough season, five years. So my whole high school and a little bit of college was spent with him. And um, my relationship with God just became non-existent because I had so much guilt about all the rules I was breaking um, that I felt that I couldn't go to God in that time. And so that just left me more and more isolated. And around that time, my parents committed to a church. Finally, we had, we had not been in church this whole time. We would kind of go in and kind of go out, but we had never been had a church that we would go to where people knew us, where we knew people. So around that time, they committed to a church. So that just made me feel worse because I just had more shame because I would go and I knew I was living a double life. I was, I was hiding all sorts of things. And when I was 16, I found out I was pregnant. And I didn't feel like I could tell my parents. <laughs> my dad was like, I want you to fear me. And I was like, okay, I do fear you. And in... I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't have anybody I could talk to. I could have talked to them, but I just didn't think I could. And um, my boyfriend, like, there was only one option for him. There was no, like, talking about it. And so um, I had an abortion, and I remember leaving the clinic. Right before I left the clinic, the nurse told me, I never want to see you in here again. And I think she was trying to help me, like, say, don't make the same mistake twice, but I took it kind of just as another, like, let somebody down, rejection. And at the same time, I thought to myself, I will never be here again. I will never be in this position again. But one year later, at 17, I was pregnant again. And this time, all the same fears came flooding back, um, all the same just feeling like I had no options. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who I, who I could talk to. And then I had the added shame of like, I cannot believe you did this again. I cannot, you know, just have you ever been there where you're like, I will never do that again. And then there you go. You find yourself and you're like, what happened? And so I knew I couldn't go back to that other place. So I had to find another place to go to. And I remember... As I was getting ready at the doctor's office, um, I looked down at my hand, and I had this ring, this James Avery ring. Um, it was, uh, it had like a Holy Spirit cut out, a dove cut out in it. Do you all remember those? Representing the Holy Spirit. I think maybe my parents had given it to me. I don't remember. But I remember looking it down and just feeling so ashamed. It was like there was God on my finger. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. Like, I knew it grieved the heart of God. But at the same time, strange, I knew he was with me when I saw that, even in that place. So finally, at 19, a couple years later, I was able to break it off. I was able to get out of that relationship. And um, I had a lot of self-hatred for everything I had done, for everything I had allowed somebody to do to me. It was a very abusive relationship. And I felt like I had missed out. Like I had missed out on my whole high school experience because I was following this ridiculous guy around. 
And um, because of that, I just went kind of even more crazy because now I was like free and I was 19. And so I did a lot of drinking and partying and all through college, a lot of dating, making up for lost time. And um, even in that season, I remember the the knowledge of God never left me, right? Um, I remember like having these moments of clarity where I would think there's more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. I was made for more than this. Like I knew eternity was real, and I knew that I was just wasting time. Um, And by this time, my mom, my parents were going through a really messy divorce. And my mom was still at the same church, and I was still going every Sunday because I lived with her. And so um, I would, you know, go out all night, get home super late, sleep a few hours, and go to church with her like still drunk sometimes, hungover, like reeking like a hot mess. Like, um, And I don't remember, I think because she was in the middle of the divorce, she kind of didn't even notice what was going on with me. And then right before I turned 22, something really incredible happened. I was doing my thing, going out, going to church hungover, going to church um, drunk, coming home, doing it again, and then all of a sudden, I started listening to the words of the songs, and they started meaning something to me. I mean, I, f- I think this is so incredible because I didn't do anything. I didn't make a choice to love God. God just kind of pulled me in, and um, then, like, I was going to church, and, like, I was crying all the time, and it was so embarrassing. I mean, you know, like, not sobbing, but just when the tears won't stop, and I was just, like, brushing them away. I didn't want my mom to see. I was like, what's happening to me? Um, <laughs> and the messages started to make sense to me, and suddenly I was looking forward to church. And at some point in that summer, I rededicated my life to the Lord. So I had always been his. But I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I mean, it was maybe the hundredth time I'd done that. Because I had done that over the years out of fear, out of guilt. When Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Do y'all remember those, those uh, plays where they would, like, do a skit where somebody died and, like, got dragged off to hell? <laughs> I would rededicate my life on those nights. <laughs> um, but I just, it just didn't stick. And there was one time a super hot guy started coming to church, and I rededicated my life because I was like, I can do this. I can do this. (laughs) And then we went out on one date, and he was like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Because he was serious about God. (sighs) So this time it stuck. I mean, I was different. Um, I... Everything about me changed. I stopped smoking cold turkey. Didn't want it anymore. Stopped drinking. Didn't want to go out. It wasn't, a, it wasn't about rules anymore. I just was different. I cut my hair, and I regret that part. <laughs> I remember cutting my hair, and I don't know if I thought it would make me like more Christian or what, but I just, if you don't remember anything else tonight, don't cut your hair when you're going through life transitions. You will regret it. Or when you get pregnant, don't cut your hair. Because then after you have the baby, all your hair falls out. And you're stuck with even less hair. So um, I didn't want to go out anymore. I 
lost almost all my friends except for one, and she's actually here tonight. <laughs> um, we've been friends for like a lot of years. I don't want to say how many. Um, and for a while, it was really incredible, this new life, this new relationship with Jesus, um, like a honeymoon period, right, where everything's amazing, and you just feel so loved and so accepted, and you're learning so much. Um, but about six months into that experience, all of a sudden, the guilt from what I had done just came crashing down on me. And um, I remember going to church services like almost every night. I mean, I was looking for forgiveness, even though I had already received it. I was looking to hear something that would change the way I was feeling on the inside because I felt so ashamed and I felt so tormented by the fact that I couldn't undo it, that I didn't maybe understand the finality of what I was doing when I did it. And um, I would come to the altar, a space like this, after people would preach, they would invite you to come down, and I would come, and I would just kneel down and cry, and I would just beg God to forgive me. And I remember on several instances, like, um, the minister would come, and I wouldn't even tell them why I was there, but they would come, and they would say, you're forgiven, like God was telling them, like, you're forgiven, you can let it go, or maybe they were just like, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit, so, um, <laughs> and I would feel better, I would feel better for a little bit, like, I would leave, and I'd be like, okay, I'm forgiven, and then it would happen over again, just this cycle of shame, guilt, forgiveness, shame, guilt, forgiveness, and I couldn't break the cycle, I didn't know how, I got married. I was super active in church. I was serving people, trying to live a godly life, but I had this weight on me. And um, one night when Daniel and I had been married for about a year, um, he worked nights. And so it was a Friday night, and I was home alone. It happened again, crying, feeling ashamed, feeling like I was never going to be able to move past it and forgive myself. And I prayed and I asked the Lord again to just deliver me, to just take it from me. And I opened up my Bible to Isaiah 53. And it was the Amplified I was reading there. So that's the scripture I have. And it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. And the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. And when I read that scripture and I read that he had carried our sorrows and our pains of punishment, the light bulb went on. The next part says that he was um, bruised for our guilt. And I realized that I had been carrying the guilt almost like a badge, kind of like I deserved it because I had done something that made me feel better to be really sad about it. But Jesus had taken even the sorrow for my sin, and I didn't have to carry that anymore. And in that moment, like it was done. It was over, and I was finally free. And so, um, I'm going the wrong way. I um, wanted to redo a passage from the Bible. It's my favorite story um, about Jesus. It's my favorite encounter with Jesus because I feel like it's 
almost parallel to my story. Um, and it's an encounter that he has with a woman who's unnamed. And she is um, an outcast and a reject, and we'll read about it in a little bit. But I love this because it was a really intentional encounter. And it just shows the heart and the character of God for humanity, but it was a female, so I think it shows it for his daughters, that he would go out of his way to go and do this, and it's found in John 4, 3, and this woman, she was a Samaritan, and that was her her race, that was where she was from, and at that time, the Jewish people looked down on Samaritans, they hated Samaritans, that had been going on for like hundreds of years, and um, there were two cities, there was like, if you're looking at a map horizontally, there was one here, and one here, and Samaria was in the middle. And so when Jews would travel, because they hated Samaritans so much, they would go out of their way to go around Samaria. And there's like a a trail for them to go. Everybody knows like this is the way to this town. You go around Samaria. And so we're going to pick up the story in John 4, 3. And it says, so Jesus left the Judean countryside, and he went back to Galilee. To get there, he he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus was worn out by the trip, and he sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water, and Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. And the Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you're a Jew, and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews and those wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would be giving you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and the well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you better than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, and his sons and livestock and passed down to us? And Jesus said, everybody who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. And anyone who drinks the water I will give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. And he said, go and call your husband and then come back. And she said, I have no husband. That's nicely put, he said, I have no husband. You have had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Okay, that was a long passage. (laughs) But this is, I love this story so much. So in the first verse, he, it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Where, when we know that he didn't have to pass through Samaria, he chose to pass through Samaria. So when it says he had to, it's because he was on a mission. He went there to go talk to her. And the Bible tells us that um, it was at noon. It's very specific. And in that time, women would draw water from the wells in the morning and in the evening. This is in the desert. They didn't go to the wells. They didn't make that walk. It was about half a mile outside of town, unless it was cool. They went in the coolest times of the day. And so this woman knows that. She lives in this village. She knows she's a reject. We just found out why. Apparently, she's had five husbands, and she's living with someone who isn't her husband in a time and a culture where that did not happen. 
And so she's going to the well at a time where she knows she will not have to interact with anybody. She's trying to avoid the women of the village. And on that day, God is sitting there waiting to talk to her. And I've heard this story preached a lot over the years. It always irks me when, um, when preachers, you know, call her a promiscuous woman, a loose woman, the immoral woman, because it doesn't take a lot of digging to find out that in that time, women could not divorce their husbands. There was literally nothing they could divorce their husbands for, but men could divorce their husbands, their wives, <laughs> um, and all they had to do was write a bill of divorce. So basically, they had to write on a paper, I want to divorce you, and hand it to them. And that was what constituted a divorce in that time. So we know that this woman was married five times, and that means that she had been divorced five times or widowed, maybe, but I'm sure it wasn't all five of her husbands that had passed away. So this woman has suffered. She's experienced loss. She's been abandoned. She's been rejected. She's got a story. She's not just some immoral woman floating around trying to marry everybody. I don't even know how she got these five men to marry her. It's such a strange story, and the Bible doesn't tell us, you know, um, why they married her and why they chose to leave her. Maybe she was sick. Maybe, I mean, they could leave. The, the law said, like, if they found their wives obnoxious in any way. Do you know how many times Daniel and I would have been divorced? <laughs> no. <laughs> if that's all it took. So the Bible doesn't tell us why. Even in this day and age, being married five times is kind of a lot. You know, this is a woman who's been through some stuff. And um, Jesus doesn't pretend he doesn't know her story. He doesn't ignore it. He calls it right out. He tells her, I know you. I know what you've been up to. Who knows what else he tells her. This is the only thing that's um, recorded. And then they go on to have this deep theological conversation. This woman is intelligent. This woman knows history. And she tells him that she's waiting for the Messiah. She says, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And he tells her, I am the Messiah. And she chooses to believe in him in that moment. And in that moment, his disciples come back. And this is in John 4, 27. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. And the woman took the hint and left. And in her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. So this is what's incredible to me, that she would say, come and see a man who knows all the things I ever did and knows me inside and out. Like, what kind of conversation did they have? What else did he tell her? This is what's so powerful. She knew he knew all the things she ever did, all the things she didn't want anybody to know about, all the things she kept hidden, all the things that she had walked through, and he didn't reject her. He wasn't saying, she wasn't saying it as a shameful thing. She was saying it as something incredible. And for the first time, she was accepted by somebody. And she didn't have to hide anymore. And then we see that she's transformed in that moment. She's transformed because that morning, she had that afternoon, she'd been avoiding people. She'd been going to the well at noon. And all of a sudden, she's running to the people she's avoiding and saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. No more shame. 
and she um, ends up evangelizing her town. And Jesus stays in that town for two days, and many, many people are saved because of it. I think the, her reputation, the fact that she was broken, the fact that people thought she had a scarlet letter on her was the reason they believed in the Messiah because they said, we know this woman and she's different. And in the hands of Jesus, our most painful shameful moments can become platforms for his purpose. That's what he does. He takes our broken places. He takes our shameful places. He takes our ugly places. He takes the things that we wish nobody knew. And if we give them to him, he will heal us. And then he'll turn around and tell us, go and use this to bring people to me. It's not our perfection. It's not in our perfection that Christ shines. It's in the mess. It's in the dirt. It's in the mire. It's in the things we wish people didn't know. And the reason I shared this story is because this is my story. I feel like I encountered Jesus in that way on that night where he knew where I had been and he knew what I had done. He had been there with me, but he still offered me forgiveness and acceptance and still healed me just in an instant through his word. And I think I know a lot of you can identify with her too. You've been abandoned, rejected, hurt, talked about, accused. We are all that woman. I think it's so incredible that this story made it into the Bible. The message that Jesus is trying to get across to us is so powerful. Three years ago, um, if you go to this church, you know, but if you're new, you don't. Three years ago, I found out I was pregnant before Eden with a little boy. And it wasn't a planned pregnancy. I was very shocked. And, um, but we found out it was a boy and we were really excited. And I went in for my regular checkup, 21 weeks, and there was no heartbeat. The baby had passed away in the womb and I learned that I was gonna have to deliver him like that a few days later. And in my shock and my grief, there was a moment when all those old feelings of shame and guilt came back. When I had all the thoughts, like I deserve this. I opened the door to this. Maybe I damaged myself in some way. Maybe I don't deserve to have another baby because of what I did. Maybe God is punishing me. All those thoughts came crashing back in on me. And I mean, you know how you can be thinking things and it's only been like 30 seconds, but it's like you're going down this bad road. And in that, that moment, the Holy Spirit came alongside me and I heard again, surely he has borne our weaknesses. Surely he's carried our sorrows. Surely he's been bruised for our guilt. And it was done like that. It was over. I didn't struggle with it anymore. I didn't question it anymore. And I'm telling you that because in that moment, I was so glad that I hadn't just stuffed that down and pretended like it didn't bother me, that I hadn't stuffed it down and ignored it, that I had received healing from Jesus. Because if I hadn't received it so many years ago, I really believe it would have taken me out. The stillbirth would have taken me out. I don't think I would have recovered from it. And I know 
I would not have had the faith to believe for another child. And I know Eden wouldn't be here because I would have believed the lie that I just didn't deserve to have another baby. And that is why your healing is so important because the enemy wants to stunt your future and he wants to limit your future. And that's how he does it, by coming and speaking lies to us. And we begin to believe them and we begin to shrink back and stop believing God and we feel unworthy and we don't want to believe him for things and that's not how it's supposed to be. And so um, we've been praying for this night. We've been praying for breakthrough. We've been praying for healing. I'm going to call a prayer team forward right now. They're going to come and stand here. We're just going to take a few minutes and open up the altar. This is like a sacred holy place. God is in this place. And God wants to bring healing tonight. And, you know, if the stats are right, about 50 of you share my story. One in four women have had an abortion. And, you know, I know it's very political right now. Everybody's talking about it because of the bill. And um, people have a right to say how they feel about abortion. But I want you to know that this is a safe place if you've had one. There's no judgment here, but there is healing. And so if you've walked through that and you are feeling all of the things that come with it, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, we can break that right now in Jesus' name. If you're struggling, something's keeping you up at night. You're struggling with something, something in your past, something that happened to you, something that you did, it doesn't matter. You don't need to struggle anymore. Jesus is here and he can take care of that too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Stay tuned to our social media accounts or head to graceavenuechurch.com for future bold events. And remember, we are everyday girls empowered to live on mission.